0: Good morning, Northside. And those who are streaming with us this morning, wherever you are, we do pray uh, that as we'll have to kind of wrestle with a a few hard things this morning, um, that the Lord would use us uh, in this church for His glory. One of the things that, uh, as I reflect on my life at um, Covenant Seminary and Montreat College before that, was the ministry of a gentleman named Dennis Hack. Uh, he oversees a ministry called Ransom Fellowship, and one of the things that he does is he uh, looks at movies, uh, popular uh, media, uh, videos, music, artists, um, and kind of uh, looks at it with, with the eyes of you know, there's truth, and all of truth is rooted in the Lord. And even uh, those who do not profess faith uh, in Christ, um, seeing and act and write, uh, they are communicating things that are realities in the world. And a way that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, can bear witness to Jesus Christ is have eyes that see and ears that hear and and be able to build a, a bridge uh that uh, offers the gospel uh, and, and healing and wholeness in a fallen and broken world. And one of the things that he taught us was how uh, there's, there's been, a, in, at least in, in kind of uh, popular sub- subject matter, uh, ideas uh, were often communicated in books, uh, novels, and there's been a shift from that to popular media such as TV shows, movies, uh, music. And movies tend to be uh, almost like uh, novels uh, that promote and teach us ideas, uh, values, uh, and things of that nature. And since then, I've always kind of looked at movies with, uh, as, as an opportunity to, to see what is the writer trying to communicate about our world? And uh one of the things that we like to watch uh is Pixar movies in our household. And I remember a few years back when uh, Monsters University came out, uh you see Sully and Mike uh you know, they're in their college years, uh they're they're longing to be a, a part of a, a you know the cool group. Uh and inevitably they because of some missteps, they get kicked out of the school. And they find a, a way to try and get back into Monsters University. They have to uh, win the scare games. And if you're familiar with the story, they they actually do fairly well in the first couple of uh, um, events to where they're invited to a, a, a party. And those of us who have seen the movie, um, we recall uh, at that party. It, all the groups that were competing in the scare race uh, made fun of uh, Uzma Kappa. Uh, they ostracized them. They humiliated them. Uh, and they plastered it all around campus. And what struck me about that is, as I was laughing, uh, what I was laughing at was, yes, what was happening to Soli and Mike. Uh, but what I was laughing at uh, was that I've felt that too. I've felt that ostracization. I've actually been one who has ostracized people. Maybe you have experienced that. Maybe you have been a, a, a culprit of that. Uh, and and this is something that Pixar and the writers capture and and kind of makes light of it. But it's something that if we really think about it, uh, it is hard. Uh, it's painful. It, it's excruciating, uh, and we see this that uh, in in this story that was read for us this morning with Leah, Rachel, and Jacob. We've been there. We know the struggle. And I, I don't know about you, but as I was hearing uh, David. Read this passage, I, I was squirming in my in my seat. Uh, oftentimes, the reaction should be, This is not the way it 's supposed to be. Uh, what do we do with that pain? What do we do with that struggle? Where do we go with it? What do we give ourselves to as we wrestle with these realities? I want to read one uh, just the first part of uh, chapter uh, twenty nine uh, 31 through 35, because that's going to be a, a a pretty big uh, focal point of um, the, the last point. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction... For now, my husband will love me. Verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son. Said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, this name, his name will be called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, "This time I will praise the Lord." Therefore, she shall be called. His name she she called his name Judah. Then he ceased bearing. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the truth of your gospel, it's oftentimes um, in the midst of pain and suffering and struggle and loneliness uh, that the truth comes through. Uh, that we find comfort in your words. We pray that that would be the case this morning as we squirm in our seats, as we navigate a very hard uh, confronting passage. uh, Lord, that we would see you as our faithful God who sees us in our deepest need, who hears us, hears our cries, and does something about it. Lord, that you are a personal God who acts uh, on behalf of your people, for your glory and our good. Teach us your ways. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The context of this passage is, and, and past few weeks we've been reminded of that, of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob I will be your God, and you will be my people. There was a promise that they would inherit a land that is not their own, that they would have children that would bless the nations, that God himself would be their God, that he would give them his, his presence, he would lead them along the way. And we, as we see kind of God orchestrating his plan of redemption, we see him demonstrating his His power, his glory, but uh, exemplifying his character, Right? God who is merciful, just, slow to anger, and abounding in love and kindness. He long suffers with his people and is is in the process of seeing our redemption fully accomplished and realized in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's at work even when we uh, are un- unaware even in the midst of our sin and struggle. God is faithful to his promises despite our unfaithfulness. We know that this to be true, and it'll come up uh, later on, but uh, with uh, Abraham and Hagar, uh, and and we'll see it, the, similar things played out here with Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. But what I would like for us to see is if we look at really the first part, uh, verses 31 through 35, Really, the whole the whole chapter. I'm going to I'm going to try and uh, slice it up in such a way that uh, we'll look at our focal point will be ma- mainly on the Lord, how God sees His people in their deepest need. If you look at uh, verses 30, uh, ver- uh, chapter 29, verses 31 uh, through uh, 35, what what do we see happening here? We see a hated Leah. Uh, that word. Um, I think it's translated here in uh, the ESV as not loved. Uh, When there's an absence of love, particularly in the Old Testament, it it connotates hatred. So here is Rachel and Jacob who hates Leah. Uh, And there's a lot of things swimming around about that. Why would they hate Leah? As uh, Mike reminded us last week, uh, it was Jacob and uh, Rachel are supposed to be married. That was his desire. Uh, that's what um, his uh, father-in-law agreed to. And they get married and find that he's been duped. He's been tricked. This trickster has been tricked. And there is emotional anguish and struggle. There's frustration. And next week, uh, pastor will lead us as we talk about the blessing of Jacob but he uh, asked for Rachel he, he reminds Laban this is not the agreement this is not fair this is not the way it's supposed to be and Laban said another 7 years and you can have the woman of your desires they long to be get, be together they long to um kind of live out the 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 gospel in terms of that that promise that was made to Jacob uh, that he would be blessed that he would be a blessing to the nations. Uh, that God is with him. And they took hold of that. And they uh, tried to flesh these things out in their own strength. And they gave they were given over to their uh, shameful desires. And in the midst of that, we see Leah, right? Uh, Broken hearted. She was a pawn in her father's game. She longed for the affection of her husband and never, at least from this passage, never got it. Could you imagine that? Longing for love and affection from someone and never, ever giving, getting it. The, the amount of emotional pain that comes with that. And, and we, and we see that, uh, lived out in Leah's life, where in some respects she would cry out to the Lord. She, You know, what we see, at least uh, by implication, is a God, much like uh, the God of Israel in the Old Testament uh, when when they were in slavery uh, to Egypt, God seeing, right, their toil, their struggle uh, and coming uh, to Moses and saying things like, my people, my children, they're crying out to me. Uh, they are in severe pain. They're struggling. I see them wrestling and struggling with the realities of this world, the world that they're in. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever felt like no one sees you? That life is not worth living? That. Maybe it would be better that your life would come to an end. I'm sure that's how Leah felt, especially having a husband who did not love her. And she cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saw her in her need. And we'll find out later on how God acts, right? He does. He meets us where we are. He meets hated Leah where she was. And demonstrates uh, his love and affection for his imperfect people we also see in this passage a passive Jacob Uh, the first part of uh, chapter 30 we see Rachel coming to Jacob uh, and saying I have no children give me children or I will die it's it's much deeper than um, I, I want to have children. I want to have children with you. I want you to be the father of my children. There, there's a lot attached to that statement. Uh, Rachel felt uh, that it, because of her barrenness, she did not have a social status. She was she was uh, not esteemed by uh, the, her family. She was not valued. Uh, she was deemed as second class. Uh, and in that uh, context, oftentimes, if uh, you, you were not uh, given children, uh, you could either send the wife away, uh, divorce her, or uh, she would die alone uh, and scared and not have anyone who would care for her. She felt the, the weightiness of what was going on. She, she uh, felt inadequacies. Uh, she... Um, she felt the struggle and was looking to, much like Leah was looking to Jacob, to, to fulfill that need. And what what do we see uh, passive Jacob do? If you look at uh, verse 2 of, of chapter 30, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. and He said, am I in the place of God? You know, one of the things that really hit home for me is sometimes I'm a lot like Jacob with my family. Uh, I see, you know, my wife comes to me with a need. And oftentimes, what do, I, what do we do? We turn it on them. We make them feel like it's their problem rather than hearing and going to the Lord. Uh, much like uh, his father did, uh, Isaac, who prayed for his wife, uh, Rebecca. And much like his grandfather did, uh, Abraham uh, with Sarah, when they were barren, when they were struggling in child rearing, they went to the Lord, they cried out to the Lord. And Jacob should have done that here. Cried out to the Lord, recognized uh, his struggles, and asked the Lord to intervene. But we don't see that. In fact, what, what we'll find out later on is he spends a lot of his time, and there's reason for that, in the field. We don't see him engaging his family, uh, discipling his sons uh, and his daughter. We see him un, not, almost through the most of his life up until the end of being distant, not there, uh, passive, kind of living out life in his own strength. We kind of see Leah uh, Jacob and Rachel doing that here in this passage, taking hold of God's plan, his blessings, promised blessings, and trying to work them out in their own strength. He's passive much like uh, uh, we see happening with uh, Adam. Uh, Where was Adam when Eve ate of the uh, fruit? He was there with her. And what does Adam do when the Lord confronts him? The woman that you gave me, she caused me to sin. That is our struggle. That's that's a struggle that we have, particularly men, ever since Genesis 3. And it's a struggle that we must uh, overcome uh, purposefully in, in, as fathers, as brothers, uh, as people of the Lord. To pursue one another, to encourage one another, uh, to seek the Lord's face. Uh, and we come to our... The latter, latter point of, uh, main point number one of God seeing, we, we, we talked a little bit about that, about God seeing Rachel in her barrenness. Uh, we see her r- really grappling and wrestling with all that's going on between uh, Jacob and Leah. Uh, we see her feeling, uh, in some ways, uh, like a second-class citizen in the midst of a family. Uh, there, there's great division, great disunity uh, one side against the other. Uh, it's me against them, them against me. Uh, and, and, and the way that Moses is, seems to be structuring the passage, almost like a one-upness. Uh, we see, particularly with Leah, one-upping uh, Rachel. And, and the reality of the matter is, uh, ever since Genesis 2, there should be one man, one woman in the context of marriage. Every time there has been other uh, wives added to the mix, there has been tremendous emotional pain and struggle and wrestling. Uh, there, it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. But what we see is a God who acts uh, on behalf of his people in spite of themselves. God knows uh, the depths of Leah, Jacob, and Rachel's sin. And he chooses to love them. That's the God that we serve—a God who loves us in spite of ourselves and uses us for His purposes. When I was reading through uh, this passage, there there are a couple of things that came to mind. One, and we'll get into this a little bit later. What are some ways in which I ostracize others in my own family, my children? Uh, with my extended family? What are some ways that I don't hear my wife who comes to me and, and challenges or encourages me? Uh, where I talk it away or I uh, switch it back on them, whether it's my uh, children or my wife. These are real issues that happen in, in real families. Uh, this this is not new. This has always been the case in a Genesis 3 world. in uh, it, and it you know, beckons the question, not only in my own life personally, but, you know, I said it in my extended family. What are so, you know some of those crazy aunts and uncles that maybe we won't invite to our family reunions? You know, do we see these things played out in our own families? Uh, I mean, I, as I preach this message, you know, there's a lot of things in my extended family that are happening. Uh, and, and we all face those struggles, those realities uh, of... Brokenness, broken relationships, uh, hardship, struggle, relational disconnectedness. How, you know, what is, the, what is the Lord teaching us about that? If, you know, if, what should Jacob do? I mean, how do you even begin to repair those broken relationships? How, how, do you, how do you bring reconciliation to a party, to a group of people that has no desire for that? Who not even thinking about that what does that look like how do we do that and I think oftentimes the answer is we can't it's got to be a work that the Lord does in us uh changing our heart towards people uh as I you know wrestle with with my own sin as I wrestle with broken relationships Uh, some counsel that I've received uh, years ago was taking it to the Lord in prayer Asking the Lord to soften the eyes, my eyes, towards those who I'm struggling and wrestling with. That's a humbling thing to do. That's what, in many ways, Jacob, uh, Leah, and Rachel are being called to. Asking the Lord to intervene and soften their eyes towards one another. In those moments, moments of barrenness, moments of loneliness... I'm sure Leah and Rachel felt forgotten. They felt ostracized. They felt discouraged, discriminated against. They felt uh, as if their world was coming to an end. And what do we see happening? We see a God who sees his people struggling and hears their cries, brings them to the point where Leah and Rachel have nowhere else to turn but to the Lord, and they cry out. Uh, they, they are beginning to see that their world is not as, as it should be. I remember one of the thing, first times I, I was in my 20s. Uh, I felt like the Lord was teaching me that the world is not the way that you think it is. Uh, there was a couple of times. One, it was uh, coming back home. Uh, to to a family after being away for some time and seeing some patterns and, and struggles in my own family. And, and, you know, what I remember, you know, home to be doesn't live up. Uh, another time was when I was doing ministry uh, up north in Michigan, and I would bring a group of students, middle school students, to St. Louis, Missouri, and we would work with a church by the name of New City Fellowship, they have a network that 's worldwide and we would we would uh, drive down uh, there from Michigan and we would do a lot of the same things that we do here uh, with the BTW community we would uh, help lead a summer camp uh, we would do some tutoring we would be paired up with children and and spend some time getting to know them uh, know hearing their story uh, and Helping them grow and mature, and and in some ways get ready for the fall. Uh, in that uh, community that we were in, uh, particularly the ethnic uh, the ethnic minorities, the uh, the poor uh, struggled in school. And New City Fellowship saw as a way to serve that community by uh, creating it a summer camp that would help uh, young children continue to grow in reading and math and uh, history and things of that uh, nature. And they would invite churches to come and help them lead that. So we would do that in the mornings. And then in the evenings, uh, we would go to an area uh, housing project and put on a, va- like a vacation Bible school, but open air kind of backyard Bible club. Uh, and we would play with kids and tell them about Jesus and um, how he calms their storms, how he uh, comforts the weak and the needy and the poor, how he offers uh, a peace uh, that the world does not have. And in the midst of that, uh, the leaders of New City Fellowship would teach us about kind of the history. What's the history of St. Louis, Missouri? And one of the things that really stood out about uh, the history of St. Louis it's a beautiful city. I don't know if you've ever been uh, uh, to St. Louis. I would encourage you to go. There's, you know, things left over from uh, the World's Fair in 1914 and, or 1904. Uh, there's a lot of cool things like the City Museum. That's not a museum. It's kind of an in, indoor playground. I would really encourage you to be a, uh, to go and experience that. you have got the Cardinals, my beloved Cardinals. Uh, and then with that, there are things that are kind of in the shadows, uh, one of the leaders was showing us uh, deeds to homes from 1905 uh, that said the owner of this house shall not rent or sell uh, to anyone that is uh, anyone other than the Caucasian race. And, and they would show us uh, another one uh, where, uh, wait a second there are deeds that are binding that, that people have that are purposely excluding uh, a, another group of people based on the their race or color of their skin. And as the leaders were talking about the history of St. Louis, uh, I, my world was turned upside down. Uh, and, and in many ways, I haven't recovered since. Uh, there is a a constant wrestling with, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we kind of see that in some ways being played out in our culture, our our society now. There's great civil and uh, racial unrest going on in our country. And I think that's the beginning, is, is recognizing that, seeing that for what it is. And crying out to the Lord, asking for him to intervene. Uh, The church has been given the keys to the kingdom. Uh, What is the kingdom about? Uh, King Jesus, uh, who undoes the curse as far as it is found. And one of the ways that we have the opportunity to do that is to to give a listening ear to those who are needy, poor, downtrodden, disenfranchised the Lord did that with Leah as she was crying out to him he gave ear to her he saw her in her need and loved her delighted in her cared for her as well as Rachel as well as Jacob in spite of himself the reason why I bring that up is we all have blind spots. We all have struggles. We all have areas that we do not want to be, to have exposed to a holy and righteous God. But that's the God that we serve. A part of what he does is he exposes our sin so that we may see our need of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the only one who can save us from our sins. The only one that can give us peace, meaning, purpose, and wholeness in a broken and fallen world. And it's there, it's offered to us. And he calls us to to be embraced as his own, uh, to recognize our need, our sin, and to confess it and cry out to him. Maybe you're like Leah, Uh, feel disconnected, cry out to the Lord. Know that you have a God who sees you. He loves you. Maybe you're like Jacob, disconnected, uh, oblivious, focused on yourself. Cry out to the Lord. He calls you to humble yourself before him. And he promises to forgive you of your sin and to transform you, transform your heart from the inside out. Maybe you're like Rachel. Maybe for some of us, we've struggled with barrenness. We've struggled with infertility. We've struggled with all of these issues that come up in this passage. Cry out to the Lord. Know that he sees you. He loves you. Uh, As we'll find out later on, he's even using this hardship and struggle in your life to grow and mature you. He loves you. He sees you. We've seen that the Lord sees us, but now we, in this passage, we see the Lord hearing the cries of his people, as I stated before. We see afflicted Leah, right, Uh, who's hated, and she cries out to the Lord. uh, And he hears her cries, and he answers those cries in his due time. We see disgraced Rachel, who is grappling with the social struggles that uh, barrenness comes. And he hears her cries. He brings her to the point where she cries out to him. And we see at the end of this passage, he answers that cry by giving her a son. And we see absent Jacob. Uh, What's really interesting is uh, when there's a a, a part of the story that's pretty explicit. Uh, When Leah... Um, it kind of takes matters into her own hands. Uh, they, her, one of her sons uh, finds mandrakes, which um, historically speaking had uh, kind of a, a magical connotation to it that would help with fertility and uh, kind of barters uh, for Jacob by using these mandrakes. And she uses this word wages. Uh, Moses is purposely using that word. Uh, as Mike pointed out uh, last week, what, what was Laban, uh, how was Laban thinking of Jacob, who was his flesh and blood, as a wage, as money, uh, as an object? Uh, in some ways, Leah uh, makes Jacob an object. And in many ways we also see the the uh the servants of Leah and Rachel as objects, uh made to do the bidding uh of their master. As just as a quick aside, we don't have time for this, but when we read through passages such as these, some may say why would we serve a God who would allow for and support uh, such injustices like these? And sometimes our response is, man, that's a great point. Uh, but he actually doesn't. Uh, what we see in, in this passage is a God who is faithful to his promises in spite of our unfaithfulness. He's not uh, supporting or encouraging or standing behind these practices. Uh, I think Moses is highlighting this to uh, implicitly say, this is not the way that God has designed it for marriage to be. Uh, This is not the way that God has designed for his will, at least in terms of human uh, terms, to be accomplished. Uh, That he is stronger than man's sin. Uh, That he, uh, what we see Moses doing is helping us see how God's Power, his glory, his love overshadows man's sinfulness. And these are, this is a family of promise. Uh, that promise that uh, he will bring, You, he will use them uh, to bring blessing to the nations. And he's at work fulfilling that promise in spite of the unbelief, the rebellion of um, the participants, and the same goes for you and I. We rebel against the Lord day in and day out, but He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Reminds us, uh, if we are in Christ, that we have forgiveness of our sins that it, that that has been paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That. When we sin against the Lord and we cry out to him, the Bible teaches us that he who is just uh, will indeed forgive us of our sins. Because justice has been dealt in Jesus Christ. So when we sin against the Lord, he reminds us of the forgiveness that we already have. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you are far off. Maybe you are un. You, you don't understand how sinful you are, how rebellious uh, we are. Here is the Lord coming to you, uh, offering you uh, to know him, to love him, and to know his love by offering forgiveness. Uh, he, he promises, and he demonstrates this in this passage, he promises to use broken people like you and me to accomplish his will to further his kingdom as he does with these heirs to the promise. And that goodness that he offers us in Jesus Christ isn't just for Leah, Rachel, and Jacob. It's for us, you and me, those who've been called uh, in Jesus Christ. One of the... Stories that uh, I reflect on um, from my own life pretty regularly is seeing how God was at work uh, in our family in a a very hard time. When I was a senior at Montreat College, I don't know if I've shared this story uh, to you all, Um, I've shared it a a few times maybe with our students. That's when we uh, found out that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. But at the moment, I did not know what was going on. Uh, my dad called me numerous times to say, "Son, we need you to come home this weekend." Uh, my response was, "I have tasks that I need to do. I've got a project that's uh, due. I have to uh, go on this uh, field trip uh, for our intercultural studies uh, class. I cannot. This is not a good weekend for me." And he, uh, you know, after some prodding, he he gave up. And then shortly thereafter, I got a call from my youth pastor, Joseph, who said, Chris, you need to come home. Uh, and I said, Joseph, I mean, I, I love my family. I want to come and and serve with you. Uh, I, I, I would love to come home, but I just can't this weekend. Can we do it another weekend? I said, no, you, you're really needed with your family. Uh, you know, who's your teacher? Uh, and I gave him the teacher's name and... Uh, you know, an hour or two later, I got a call from my, uh, professor who said, Chris, uh, you know, I know that in class I said that you ha- you you know, this field trip is required. It's a part of your grade, but, um, you're needed at home. You need to go home. And I said, okay. So I packed up my, uh, uh 1980 Datsun 210 and I drove home and, uh, I got there that night um I, we waited for my sister to come home. She was off at college as well and um as I was you know on the way home, I had a, a conversation with uh, my youth pastor joseph, and uh he said You're needed at home. school can come later and that uh, kind of ruminated in my mind. I got home and uh my it was my dad who shared, but he said Got some bad news. your mother has breast cancer and uh, what struck me about and she's doing well uh, she's alive and well and, and uh, is uh, loving uh, is is great. Um, we actually got to spend some time last week uh, together but what rem- what is uh, stands out about this story is we have I have someone like Joseph. Who comes to me, and I don't even know what's going on. He does. He has insight, and and what does he say? He says you're you're needed. He reminds me of what I'm what I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. Uh, he calls me uh, into action, and we see that happening here in this passage. We see a God who's long suffering, uh, who is at work uh, making this family a, a blessing. Uh, to the nations. Uh, he is long suffering. He is slowly but surely uh, working in accordance with his will uh, and drawing uh, Leah, Jacob, and Rachel to himself. He's at work. He's a God who does. He's not a God who is far off. He's a God who is very personal, who enters into the messiness of our lives. Uh, and it and demonstrates his power and glory uh, in the midst of tremendous, severe brokenness. Tremendous, severe emotional pain and anguish. And slowly but surely, uh, opens our eyes, opens the eyes of this beautiful little family, broken family, to, to what he's doing. And we see that specifically, if you look at verses 31 through 35... Of chapter 29 in the names that Leah gives her children we see the the reality of God's work Uh, we see in the first name you know we see her longing to to have the 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 gaze of her uh, her uh, beloved husband Uh, and she bears a son and the first one is named Reuben Uh, the the, the word uh, Reuben uh, sounds a lot like and is, is kind of a alliteration of God God sees. Uh, he, he has eyes. He's all-knowing, all-seeing. He is personal. He sees Leah in her affliction. If you're like me and you're in it, you're going through hardship and struggle, sometimes it's very hard to see Uh, A God who is personal, who sees us in our need. And in here, uh, Leah does and names her first son, Reuben. The second son uh, she is given, uh, the name uh, is Simeon, which means God hears or is heard. God hears her cries, hears the cries of her heart, hears the the longings uh, of uh, her heart and meets her where she is, where she, she is most needed. Uh, the the uh, third one uh, is Levi. Uh, Levi is a very interesting name. Uh, Levi, the uh, tribe of Leah, Levi are the ones that enter into the presence of the Lord, who uh, offer sacrifices, who uh, actually carries the um, the Ark of the Covenant um, as they are wandering in the wilderness. So there's a, you know, Leah remind, is reminded that there's a connection. God uh, commits himself, uh, is connected, uh, connecting himself uh, to Leah. And then we come to the fourth son, uh, which is Judah, which means, I will praise the Lord. So God moves Leah's focus from herself to her husband, to himself, that that progression, that that work that God is doing over time leads to right worship of the one true God. We see uh, with Rachel, the latter part of chapter 30, we see her finally getting a son, giving birth to a son. Uh, He says that he remembers uh, Rachel remembers her cries, remembers uh, her affliction, and grants her her desires for a son uh, and and that son is joseph, and joseph is we know the story we 'll hear about it later on, but he is the reason why uh, Israel goes down to Egypt now back to Leah the, the fourth son, Judah. Out of Judah comes our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, who who gives up his life as a ransom for ours. That is where we see the fulfillment of the promise that the nations will be blessed through this family, through the, the tribe of Judah, comes our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also see, in spite of Jacob, who's absent, who's at work, who's toiling, who's wrestling. Uh, We see God being faithful to his promise to him, to be with him, that uh, he will bring blessing through him to the nations, that uh, he is with him, his presence is with him, in spite of himself, in spite of his rebellion. Uh, God is at work drawing Jacob to himself. And we don't have time to go into it, but if you look at uh, chapter, I think it's uh, 50, I'm sorry, 39, we see Jacob uh, at the end of his life uh, blessing his sons and, and uh, recalling God's faithfulness, uh, his his love uh, for him and his family as he's literally on his deathbed. And there's a little obscure uh, verse, but he talks about how he has prepared uh, the resting place. For himself uh, to be with his bride Leah. Uh, When when he dies, he's buried with uh, disenfranchised Leah. Uh, There's a heart that's being that is uh, over time changed against Leah. There's a heart that has been gripped by God's grace and mercy um, at work, uh, using this family in spite of themselves. And that's why we study this passage. In the same way that God works in this broken, fallen family, he promises to work in our life, in spite of our messiness, in spite of all that's going on in our lives, or in our community, or in our world. He promises to use us, his children, to further his kingdom, to testify that it's not about me. I am uh, inadequate, uh, but the Lord through his power and his glory, uh demonstrates that he alone is adequate. And that's why the the writer of Hebrews kind of compares and contrasts you know Israel uh with Jesus Christ. And Israel is found in want. Jesus Christ is faithful and promises uh, to be the same God that He's always been faithful and just long suffering. Uh, but there will be a day in which he will make all things right and true. Uh, He will bring ultimate, final judgment. But until that day comes, he promises that if you come to him, this is what Jesus says, all of you, every one of you who are enduring tremendous burden, come to me. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon your shoulder, uh, for my yoke is light. He promises to, to give us forgiveness. He promises to deal with our sin. He promises to see us, to hear us, and to be at work within us. I'll close with this. Uh, as I w- was going through this passage and reading and writing uh, and and wrestling with all that's going on, uh, I felt like the Lord was bringing to my memory uh, a One that stands out, it's probably insignificant to you guys, but it's something very significant in my own life. When I was uh, in middle school, I really uh, struggled um, academically. I was, from a behavior standpoint, I was uh, in some ways a class clown. I, I could be hurtful and spiteful and mean, and I was not doing well. And I knew my uh, birthday was falling at the end of a grading term. And uh, in spite of, you know, not performing well, I I still asked my parents for Air Jordan's uh, fourth edition. And they were very expensive uh, basketball shoes. I was in a period of loving and idolizing Michael Jordan. And uh, I knew it was kind of a, you know, strange request that they probably wouldn't, Uh, grant that desire. But the morning that I woke up, uh, I think it was like a Thursday or Friday morning, it was end of the week, Uh, I sat down uh, at the table to eat my cereal and I saw this box uh, wrapped and I opened it up and it was Jordan's 4. And uh, it really uh, reminded me that I'm not deserving of this. You know the, the report card that I brought home, they had in their hand. Uh, they, they, they knew that I was not adding up at school. They knew that I was struggling. Uh, but what my parents reminded me was, even with their words, that they love me, that they're proud of me. Could you imagine saying that to someone who struggles the way that I did? They're proud of me. They love me. And this was not necessarily a token of that love, but this was a reminder of that love. And so with Leah, Jacob, and Rachel, they didn't deserve the children. They didn't deserve the grace and mercy of the Lord. God, out of his great love and abundance uh, for them, freely gave it to them. He poured it out upon them. Uh, As we read through this passage, it, it may seem like you know, there, there were years that it was, there was uh, Leah being blessed, years that Rachel was not, and so on and so forth. And this was all happening at the same time. Each uh, person involved in the story, particularly Leah and Rachel, uh, were reminded that they're struggling. Uh, things are not as w- the way it's supposed to be. And what we see is God choosing uh, out of his good pleasure to love them and bless them and cause them to be a blessing. And we know that because we know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the story of Leah, Jacob, and Rachel, we marvel at the beauty of your grace and your mercy. We marvel at how you are a God that is long-suffering. We marvel at how you are a God who... Though we don't deserve it, you bestow upon us wonderful gifts that are found in your son Jesus Christ. Gifts that are eternal. Uh, By faith in him, you are ours and we are yours. And the same goes with Leah, Jacob, and Rachel. In spite of themselves, you bound yourself to them and you bind yourself to us. We pray, Lord, as we reflect on our lives, as we reflect on what's going on in our world, that we would see your good hand in the mix, that we would pray, we would seek your face, that we would cry out to you and ask that you would be at work in our lives and in in the lives of those around us. Uh, Bless us and keep us to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.